0: This episode has been recorded by Janine Preston for Life is a Beach. So welcome Joe, it's so nice to see you arriving, on peace.
1: Thank you, know. you very much. <laughs>
0: I was telling everybody a little bit about GT Home Build, which was your company that you've just retired from. See, entrepreneurs really do retire. Those of you who wake up every morning and think, is there an end to this? Yes, there is.
1: <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs> and now tell me something, where did this all begin? It must have begun a long time ago, because how old are you now?
1: Um, 24 April, I'll be, I'll be 76.
0: So you're 70, you're basically 50 plus fat. <laughs> <laughs> you could say so that. So you spring chicken.
1: That's
0: <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> I like spring chickens. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about, where did your journey begin?
1: Uh, after leaving school, that was way back in the 60s. Um, I started my journey uh, with my first job that was in 1965 Um, I worked for the government then the municipality and thereafter I joined a company called AECI um, that was a manufacturing company chemicals chemicals that's right and then when i left them i joined uh, <clears throat> what was then called the urban foundation now the urban foundation was a company that came by uh, to try and ease uh, the hardships of apartheid
0: by the,
1: some political people but then uh before then, um, I got married, and after getting married, I was staying in a township called Zamdale in Sasolburg, a very cramped town.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> now, these are word I haven't heard for a
1: while. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, in those years, the, the 70s, 75, I think... Uh, the spirit of of entrepreneurialship was building up i 've always wanted to do a number of things, but uh, one never know where to start but uh,
0: but i'm sure in the seventies entrepreneurship was limited very much so um, because i don't think you got you would have got much support
1: no um,
0: and just looking back on on that era um how what what sort of
1: what did you decide you wanted to do and how much help did you think you were going to get? Uh, those those days, one was, uh, you know, I, I decided to do things where uh, restrictions, government restrictions were limited. I started promoting shows, you know, getting hold of people that were singing and you take them from one place to another one, pay them their fee Get uh, advertise the show and this is what actually prompted me to want to go independent at some stage
0: And just a question and I don't know if this was the 60s or the 70s because I was, I was not much younger than you but in the 60s I was sort of I, I was born in 1960 so I would have been sort of under 10 and I know at that stage there were issues with things like being out late and not having a passport and, and, and I don't remember exactly but but I'm kind of wondering if you were doing things like shows and taking musicians around, did you not face those challenges?
1: No, those challenges were always there. But uh, well, knowing what was expected of you, you'd always comply. I always carried my pass, uh, which was uh, it was name. I always made sure that I paid my uh, twenty. What was how much was it then? I think it was something like twenty-five cents in text which was pasted onto your passbook really? yes i
0: you had a so pardon me if i'm asking all these questions but <laughs> it, it just kind of it's so nice to talk to somebody who remembers what that time was like and be able to for me to understand it because i was too young and i didn't understand
1: it yeah no uh, then uh one policeman would stop you as you were walking into town because uh, there's always a uh, township and uh, you'd always walk or uh, catch a, um, a bus to town, but if you're walking, one policeman would stop you, and he would ask for your passes, and he would page through to see uh, if your pass is stamped to to stamp to say where you're working, and to check on the stamp of the tax that you have paid. If you haven't, he keeps your pass. You stand on the side. You don't run away. He'd pick up 10 or 20 of you and you'll stand there and then he would walk in front and have all your passes and he'd march you to the police station and no one would run away. Everyone would follow.
0: Really? Yeah. Did it not enter your head to run away? Was that because you could do without, if you were caught without your passport, it was worse?
1: Uh, you would uh, make matters worse. Okay. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, with with all that, one would always make a way through.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, they, I they, think of those times and you running artists around,
1: wow. <laughs> so that made me a lot clever. <coughs> <laughs> then uh, I, I started off with uh, some Bakanga shows. Uh, then uh, the Black Mambazo were still a young group. I used to correspond with them, they were in Marisburg. And I was in Sasselberg, I would just would correspond via telegrams at the time. That was a critical, was, uh, that was the email of the day.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> And you paid by the words, did you? If I remember correctly, you used to get this like pasted. Yeah, that's because, like, right. With, uh, exactly. And it had the type the letters on it, but That's I didn't right. Need per word.
1: So you just paid for those, you just make the message so that they get a message you want to book a show for this date and for this uh, this place well that improved from there uh, my major show which i did was uh, with epitombi
0: and i remember epitombi
1: yeah um well them i i booked them at subuking for 3 days uh i had my promotions had already picked up quite a bit. So that in itself gave me a lot of confidence in going it alone without going to an employer and say, please, I'm looking for a job.
0: Wow. <coughs> Just a question, Ippy Tombi, Did they do Mama Temple's wedding or got yes. that all mixed up? Yes, <laughs> so that's that was my wedding song at my third wedding. Is that right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so that's why I was asking the question. Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: had promo- I got them promoted uh, at Cebu King at that time.
0: And they travelled worldwide. Yeah,
1: they used to travel. They were who was Betha, Betha. I can't remember Betha who. Who used to uh, who used to own them, but then uh, it went up until then. <clears throat> and in that in the, in that time, I was full time employed.
0: And you were
1: doing this on the. I slide. was doing these things on the side, weekends and so <laughs> <laughs> Well
0: done, John. <laughs> Thank
1: you very much. And then uh, from there, then I joined the Urban Foundation. Now the Urban Foundation. Um, was a sideline which the progressive party then um, brought into place to try and soften up uh, the hard hits of apartheid and uh, it was headed by Judge Steyn, a retired judge then Uh, and they had it it had to do with uh, home improvement, improving the four roomed houses to try and uh, bring in a bathroom because those four room rooms t- are just four rooms. One you would use as a kitchen and one is as, uh, as a dining room or sitting room and then two would be bedrooms. But the, for, for the bath, the toilet would be outside. So the Urban Foundation came with a concept to say, let's add a bathroom to the four room. Now, on the basis of that concept and a number of other concepts which they brought into place. So I joined them. I was with the foundation, I think, for for about six years.
0: And, and, and in I was terms ma- of the foundation, did you find that they did the work they set out to do?
1: Yes. No so they did. kept their word. They kept their word. And uh, I must say the foundation did a lot of inroads into the apartheid system.
0: Was that also a lot of the RDP houses we see today, is that where this concept started? The concept
1: would have come from there to say have a bathroom in a house that you built.
0: And in terms of the kitchen, was the kitchen plumbed or was it a counter with a
1: basin? No, it was just a basic Four-roomed roomed. house.
0: Okay, so you could turn one of water.
1: You all was the toilet on in the outside.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: So you had the run it, You had to run out at night, <laughs> irrespective <What an> <laughs> whether it's raining, whether it's cold or what. Uh, you can imagine if you are a woman. Anyway. We get past that. And those are things that just made that's us... that's the
0: reality of it. Yeah. What I'm saying is so many of us don't know the reality yeah. of what you went through in those, in those and, time periods. Because not many people want to talk about it unless they're on some sort of stage and they want to make a rampage. But there's never any discussion that tells us a little bit about an insight. And yeah. that's what you're doing.
1: And these are the things, those are tough times that made us more tough and that made us be able to face up to life. Now, whilst I was in the foundation, I took some lessons I, I i I studied a bit of architecture i I had a my boss was uh, a quantity surveyor. So I learned a lot of surveying and we were doing the, uh, the actual home improvements, in other words, the additions of these toilets to these four rooms and what have you. So that's where I picked up quite a bit of construction knowledge.
0: I- I must tell you that I think that's, especially in those times, that couldn't have been easy because you, oh. you and, and, if I'm, and I may be wrong, but you went to not into varsities and no. colleges, so You'd, the knowledge that you had must have been taught by somebody privately.
1: Yeah, I, I'm self-taught because you look at what your boss is doing and you ask him questions. And you make and it's notes. Uh,
0: enough, not and uh, you away.
1: No, no, no. I was very fortunate to work with people that were prepared to impart their knowledge. And to transfer those and skills. And to transfer those skills. Okay. Right. So what happened was uh we got into the car, got to the technicon and uh, went to the well I'll call them headmaster that yeah, I don't know the what they call them. Yeah. I don't know what they call them today. And um uh, mm-hmm. He got in his office there, and uh, I was supposed to sit outside. He said, no, 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 come along. So we got into his office, and he said, listen, we've got this young man here. He's working for us in the engineering department. We would like to upskill him because we have in our civil department a position where we want to have an African. Black man then." Okay, uh, this principal sat back and he looked, he took, <laughs> he took his pipe. He, he was wasting on his pipe and he said, uh, Mr. Dupree, you come at the wrong place with a wrong person. This institution does not accept Bantus at the time. That used to be really? the word does not accept Bantus, but only white people. And he said, why? He said, that's government policy. I cannot flood it. And this the, the engineer was pleading. He said, no, listen, we will we'll not bring the, the company is going to pay and the company is going to transport him. We'll bring him in the evenings. so that (laughs) it's dark and he he does his studies uh, 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 in the evening we have confidence in him we know that he'll make it the guy was adamant he just said look I can take out books and show you this institution is not for Bantus those were his direct words oh very well How did
0: it make you feel? uh, Well, uh,
1: look, uh, I was tough. The point is, I was used to being called names. And uh, you'd be called a kefir, you'd smile. And you'd know that uh, you get out of it. It doesn't do anything. It hurts, but uh, there's nothing you can do about it. And uh, what happened was... uh, then, uh, and the advantage I had also was I spoke a lot of Africans, which I still do today.
0: And my disadvantage is I do not speak a language besides English and Afrikaans. I really <laughs> wish I had. <laughs>
1: so as they were arguing in Afrikaans,
0: Thinking that you had no idea yeah. what they were
1: saying. So uh, the engineer said to me, Please, just tell this man. And I batted it in Africans. And I saw him taking out his pipe, and he looked at me, and I was just cluttering in Africans. So I don't know. Maybe his hands were tight because of the policy of the government at the time. I don't know. But these are the kind of things that made me more determined to learn privately. And fortunately when I was working at the foundation, uh, the person w- with whom I worked was a, a retired Brigadier from the Defence Force, Jan Scholtz. Jan Scholtz was one person you would never think is Africaner. You would never think. He was so, his mind was liberated. And he was a an architect. I got a lot of lessons from him. Now, in this, the very civil field, which I wanted to go to, to the Technicon for. So uh, that carried me quite a while, quite a way. And uh, I learned what's name, and then now, this is uh, the foundation and uh, we were now doing this additions to the four-roomed houses, you know, dealing in bricks and mortar, subcontracting, you know, uh, ordinary black people that were working for the their, li- 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 <laughs> their <laughs> likes, no, no, the locals. Oh, they, yeah? The ones that were working for the likes of uh, Maria and Roberts at the time. So. Uh, would get these people, interview them, get them. Well, they knew their story because, I mean, they were doing their job at the Marian Roberts, you know, I mean, they get employed and they are supervised, but they were doing their job. So we're using a lot of these guys. And then we started then with this project of uh, the home improvements.
0: Was the home improvements only for the Sasselberg area or was
1: it No, no, it was at Sebu Okay, so it, was uh, it was for the Wahl Triangle. That's where it started. It okay. started with the Wahl Triangle and then it expanded to Carltonville. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, uh, in fact, it was in Joburg also, in Johannesburg. Uh, so uh, it expanded to these areas which were metropolitan then. And then uh, it was quite successful. And with that came the um, people that were now, people could apply for loans. And the loans would be approved or they would be given loans by the foundation. But now the foundation made an arrangement with the then... um, With the then, uh, with with the banks, and uh, but the banks would not do a direct loan with you. It would to do it via the municipality. Okay. In other words, the municipality would be would stand as surety.
0: Now, in terms of where you, the loan was the loan for the house for the. Full room plus no. a bathroom house, and no. was
1: the loan? The loan was for the additions, the renovations that we are breaking in. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so at the time, uh, that's when the policy of government was changing to say, um, you know, they were no more so strict on saying Bantu stands, go back to Bantu stands and stuff like that. They had accepted that we no more temporary search on us. We were in their minds and in their, in their policy. But uh, practically, there was no way they could get the millions of black people that were in the townships. The only thing that then they started saying, uh, no, this was the introduction of the foundation. The foundation said, look, now that we want to give these people. Uh, loans via you to the banks. We need some kind of tenure, and then uh, hence they came with the introduction of the 99-year lease. Okay. Then they said, "Okay, for those," and that would they would only do it for professional people that is now teachers, nurses, lawyers, you know, people that had that were professional, then they would have, I think that was some kind of a security.
0: And But now you're talking about black people who were lawyers or nurses. How did they get qualified if there was such a restriction on, your, on, on the education?
1: Well, I suppose because they were government employees. Okay. That would be motivation. But then it started crossing over to people who could afford. And those who were in the private sector, a person would say, okay, I want a loan. I have something to put up. You don't have to, you don't have to give me a hundred percent loan. And so it started a little bit, a little bit, and houses could be purchased now. They started selling the very four-roomed houses to the people that were occupying them. That is way, way long before, uh, the freehold title could come with Mandela and to say you could have title deeds and whatnot. No, no, it went. It started with the 99-year lease. And then it started, okay, then they say, okay, now you can start paying for the house, it's yours. That's where they had, uh, apart it had noticed that uh, their policy won't work of uh, sending us back to homelands and stuff like that.
0: So to places where there was probably no transport and no, uh, no uh, formal work sector?
1: Yeah, well, uh, I suppose uh, at the time uh, what they tried uh, to do was to say um, places that were in the, the rural areas in the homelands and they were trying to make their homelands viable was to import I think they started importing the Chinese and the Japanese. And uh, there are places called Timbaza and a number of other places where they would say these people must come in, put up a factory, employ these people, we charge you nothing. You don't pay tax, nothing for a period of time. So uh, then they started coming in And these developments Today you can go there Those places are like
0: Was it at this time that you began To look at having your own business?
1: That's the time I was looking at Having my own business Because whilst I was working for the foundation The motivator Came when The foundation asked me to Because I was running a an advice center in Sibukeng of the home improvements. Now, the-
0: Are running this on behalf of the- of, of the
1: uh, Of the Eben Foundation. Foundation. So the Eben Foundation wanted me to come and start another branch here in the Eastern, in Tokosa.
0: And, and was it a very similar situation yeah. where you could build those those four-roomed houses? It, it's, it's, at any point, did these houses have plumbing or uh, those, uh, those kind of things?
1: The plumbing was being introduced with the renovations. Okay. That's when your kitchen would have a sink. That's when, because the pipes would run the pipes into the house, taking water from the toilet, because the water, the point... Where water was, was at the toilets outside.
0: Okay, so you had to bring water from the So we sides. had to
1: bring water from there, run it into the house, and then also run it into the bathroom that you had just added.
0: And the ground that the house was on, was that owned by the person who bought the house, or was that still owned by the municipality?
1: That okay. was now under the 99 year listing. In other words, it became yours.
0: And at the 99-year lease, did they convert
1: it into full ownership? Uh, it only got converted when, uh, when, through what's, when title deeds were being issued. Yeah.
0: So then those people who but had at least, that 99-year lease now in fact have a title
1: deed. Yeah, and uh, at the time they there was more security to say I'm just not a temporary sojourner in this house. I have I can spend on it. And uh, the bank that has is actually uh, issued the loan could, if you defaulted, take, take back, back the house. The and uh, they, they, they could auction it and stuff like that.
0: Oh, my goodness. And was there a lot of that during that time? Or were people who could afford to buy, and they manage to hang on to it? To oh,
1: you? people hang on to that with, with their dear lives. I mean, just hold, holding on to that four-roomed house, you'd hang on to it yeah because uh, that back then you 'd given you 'd have seven days to pay your rent at the time rent was around four and five rent you 'd have to pay by the seventh if you haven 't paid by the seventh they uh, had municipality police they 'd come with a big lock like that and lock you out. Until you pay. You come back from work, you find the house, you see the lock, you know you have nowhere to go. And you have to find a place and your children to sleep for the night. Tomorrow morning, first thing, you must start there and pay that for rent, which was difficult to come by. I
0: was going to say, at those days, I remember my mom, I think her salary was like 32 rand.
1: That and was a that lot. Was,
0: and she was working at, um, at a, I think, Fushini's. Or, at that time, there was, a, there was a little shop called What's Happening, which was part of Fushini's. And I was probably six or seven years old. And um, I don't know why the number stuck in my head, but I think at some stage we had a discussion about what she earned in those days, and she earned 32 rand. So I can only imagine how that four rand must have been so difficult for you
1: to... Yeah, it was. It was. Today, people are talking... Bonds of thousands. Millions. Even, <laughs> mil- thousands even, even millions. <laughs> now, back then, you know, four or five rand was a lot of money.
0: And did you have the money to start the GT build? GTR build? Was there something that you, that you needed cash for, or was it something that you got your first contract and you were able to give? Ah,
1: there comes the good part. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst I was working for the foundation... I started interacting with the municipality and the building societies. So the building societies came to know that this is the man who is responsible for these loans that are being taken out and what have you. And they look at their paying rate and they say, no, they are not defaulters yet. People, this is a viable business. And uh, at the time, you know, even businesses were just scared. They look at you, you are black you are a risk. Irrespective. A person hasn't spoken to you, he looks at you, you are a risk. Okay. Oh, yeah. So uh, then they started getting confidence. But then I started building my bridges with the ladies that I was interacting with and what have you and what have you. And one day I asked one lady, I think uh, um, the United Building Society I was that I was pushing a lot of of our loans to to the United. And uh, you know, you get used to a person while you, you come in, you know, and then you start, she starts loosening up. And uh, then I asked her, What would happen if I came on my own and said, Look, I have four loans or five loans? She said, No, we can look at it, you know. And that's where the spark took off. And then when the foundation asked me to, move to the East End to come and start this. I said, no, nah, I am not keen to move. They said, well, if you're not keen to move, you'll we'll have to find someone else. You'll have to resign. I said, by all means. Oh, when I resigned, I had already started my small GT construction. And
0: what does GT stand for? We're going to go to the news shortly, but tell me what is GT's
1: GT. GT stands for my first name. Gauta, G A U T A. T stands for my surname, Chabango.
0: Okay. I thought maybe it had come from somewhere in your family or your background, you had, but it in fact is your name. So yeah. well done on that one. <laughs> Thank you. And um, in terms of the way the banks looked at you, <laughs> <laughs>
1: when I was staying at Sasselberg in this township, Zandella, uh this place was. Uh, in fact, it had a lot of hostels and uh, migrant uh, labor because Sasselbeck is an industrial hub. Correct. And
0: related to, the, the, Sasso, the,
1: uh, the, the chemicals, the oil, chemicals, the yeah. oil steel. Uh, steel, and stuff yeah. like that. So uh, then, uh, the only source of that was distributed in newspapers at the time was the local uh, cent, um, CNA. <laughs> So I went to this guy at the CNA and I said, listen, if if you sell the the Daily Mail here and once it's finished, no one gets it in the township. Then he said, well, they supply me. I said, who, he gave me the source? I got hold of them. That was the Bernard News Agency at the time. And I got the guy out, he came and I said, look, I've done my little homework you do the survey. I called him, I told him the time to come and he came around in the evening, in, in the afternoon when people were starting to come off work. And he looked at this multitude of people coming out of the factories and he said, wow. I said, all these people have to go to, he's got to walk to town or take a taxi or a bus to go and buy a newspaper. I said, no. I said, we can start a depot. Now, at my place, I built a garage for my car and a garage attached to what's name? And I had a four square meter what's name attached to the garage. That was my, was name, a distribution point. She used it there, you know, through the window, people would buy it and it's amazing. They started giving me, you know, they started small because I was new. Uh, They gave me the distribution of the local newspaper. At the time we had uh, uh, the black circulation was called the world. Not Sowetan. Sowetan <laughs> came afterwards. This was
0: at uh,
1: the world. Yeah, uh, the world. <clears throat> and then uh, when they came the following day to bring the next batch, and it was clean. There were no returns. Then said, No, I said, You brought too little. So they increased the volume, and that's how it grew now. That was the business that my wife was running. She worked from home selling newspapers that added newspapers to magazines, and these were all interesting things. And that
0: was obviously before online, when, when newspaper reading and magazines were still interesting. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. You wanted news, you either listened to the radio or... You read a newspaper.
0: Newspaper, absolutely. And and I remember the the newspaper guys, when I started work and we used to go to work, and the newspaper guys (laughs) were at the robot, they were so much fun, because you always had the guys really making a joke of having the paper. So in other words, they'd either have a dance or they'd fly the paper around. Yeah. They were so amusing to watch from one robot to the other. And you always had your favorite newspaper guy that you That's bought right. the paper from. Yeah. And there was always a tip because when you bought the paper it was a rand, but it actually cost 80 cents. So That's right. A yeah. And then the newspapers, for whatever reason, started to make it a round figure. I was like, oh, why do you do that? Because you take away yeah, the opportunity mm, for the guy to earn some To money earn him money.
1: <clears throat> so uh, from home, then they realized that uh, I was distributing quite a bit and they gave me two bicycles
0: Wow <laughs>
1: so that uh, I could go and uh, distribute at the gates of the of the factory now in the morning when you have someone there uh, at the gates it's black and white that was it I go or Was it uh,
0: a was it cross newspaper in other words did you have to buy the world or was it a, a they, free they,
1: they distributed to me and then they would come and collect the money when they collect the returns that have not been bought.
0: But that's what I'm saying. Was the newspapers at a cost? The the world, the local newspaper, was it at a cost? Yeah. So you had to buy that.
1: That's right. So uh, that business, small as it was, it started growing. Then I had the third bicycle. And uh, the other one Now I started using going to work at, at at, uh, at uh, AACI. and I would go early, stop uh, there was there the entrance, sell the newspaper, <laughs> and then uh, at quarter to seven, I'm done. Then I go into the factory to go and start uh, the job I was doing.
0: My goodness, so you are so, quite a hard worker. Jobs.
1: It started there, and uh, the, the the entrepreneurial spirit was instilled in my wife at the time, and she carried it over. She's today. She's selling school uniform.
0: No word.
1: She's carried it from that time.
0: So she hasn't really stopped working. No, um, now she's looking after you.
1: Too. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and <clears throat> at the time also that's when i got involved in uh, political things by by mistake if i have to call it because i had a friend uh, in 1976 i had a friend who had a family in alexander now the the friend uh, the the one in alexander uh, they Called the satulos. So in 76, when the riots broke out in Soweto, Tieti Mashinini and uh, this boy called Sahatul ran away from Soweto because they were fugitives from the security police. And uh, now, my, this friend of mine. Uh, used to stay in Phil Jones Drift. Now Phil Jones Drift is about 8 kilometers south of in the Free State. Now, where he used to stay, it's next to... A, this Phil Jones Drift is a, it's a, it's a station, a, st- a train station, and there's a police station next to it, and there's a community school. So this guy's this guy uh, his father was a principal of that school. So when these youngsters when things got hot in in Johannesburg they ran off Saddle Hotel said no, I have an uncle in the free state where they won't look for us. It, they came to to Fusion's draft. Now they get off at Fusion Draft, they walk past the police station <laughs> to uh, to this friend of mine's name, house now they keep them there at night police are looking all over in Soweto and what have you during the day this friend of mine decides not, he's going to get them to get an early bus to Sasselberg and they come and hide at my house oh and that that a was a nightmare. Lindy was about two, three years. That's when uh, we we started the the the, the what's the, the newspaper uh, distribution. distribution. The only thing that saved us uh, that didn't give us away is because we were the newspaper distributors. So a lot of people were, c- coming, we're coming in and, and buying newspaper and whatever. So this guy, without warning just brought these boys and it dropped them on me. He said, listen, these guys came at home and it's hot at home. It's next to the police station. Can we keep them here during the day? So they would sit in in, in the house and not go out. Now, fortunately, these, the houses that we were using we were at, at Sasselberg. This was one different township from the rest of what the the apartheid was team had done because they had bathrooms inside that was the only exception that sasselberg town had with the townships there was a bathroom and a toilet inside so these boys could sit in the house and not go out and how long did they stay with about a week if not two whoa and when they get in in the morning after I leave for work, Sheila would put this one on her back and go take it. Take a train. Sheila's home is in Suetra. Uh So she would leave the two boys. So she, she she would leave <laughs> these two boys in her oh, in, in case the police came. So they would sell the newspapers and you know, and nobody really knew who they were. And they would always with dark glasses, and uh, you know those were names. Oh, that was a nightmare. I never want to think back to that time. It almost wrecked my wife's mind. Names heard were
0: supposed to be in shock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And how did they? Why did they finally decide after two weeks to go back home, or was it no? A place
1: for them no. The, the point is, things were getting too hot for me and uh, for them to stay. So I was saying to my friend, listen, uh, I've kept these guys here for a week. They must go. And uh, they were also in contact with Winnie Mandela at the time. These youngsters had a stash of cash on them. Really? You wouldn't believe.
0: Where on earth
1: did they get the cash from? They, the, they got the cash from Winnie. Winnie used to be funded by the outside world this is one thing they could never take away from uh, direct funding they kept uh, on they kept their taps on everything but they couldn't stop the flow of money so at the time uh, arrangements were being made to get them out of the country
0: so the two boys got out of the country they
1: got out of the country
0: and
1: where were they sent to, do you know? They went via Botswana. That's, that's all I was interested in, that Knowing they, were, getting, that they, were, out they were out of my house. <laughs> and a couple of days thereafter, someone must have spoken to say, hey, man, there's suspicious faces there. Then there was a black policeman, Special branch, who would come and s- s- stand across the street at uh, some of the houses, you know, virtually park himself there and keep an eye. And by then the boys were
0: gone already. The
1: boys were gone, but sure, the, the, the the newspapers were going where were happening. Sometimes he would even come and buy, uh, a buy a newspaper under pretext and what have you, and. He had, it's just been luck wow. on our part. And that was in 76.
0: And I beg your wife till today, remind oh. you of the
1: moment when you do something wrong. Oh.
0: Remember when I let you take those two boys away? Well, just remember that. As, as,
1: now they normally say, history repeats itself. History came to repeat itself with the Nangalembes in 1991. Sorry? Nanga Lembe Now Nanga Lembe is uh, The younger brother to Nanga Lembe Was an ANC Activist And uh, a youth league Committee member okay. Staying in Siwukeng. So uh, the Apartheid police had A Group of their own Executors If you want to call them that Yeah So this particular uh, night This boy died Then there was a night vigil This is in 1991 They had a night vigil And I wanted to go to the night vigil Because the Nangalembes were I was connected to their brother Because I was running welfare And the brother was part of the committee. And the day I wanted to go, when I said no to Sheila, I want to, she said, you going nowhere. And that was my luck to be alive today. Because that very night, at the at the night vigil, these thugs with you know came with machine guns, and uh, they shot all the people dead that were inside the. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a canvas tent, you know. Yeah. You see this. Listening. And the guy was standing outside. And as he was shooting, you could see it was like that thing was cut with a knife. Wow. And when the shooting happened, now the, the other parents escaped. And this guy, Nangalembe. What is his mother and granny and uh, I think sister, what? They ran them out of the car, uh, out of the house, into the backyard, into another yard, put them in a the car. And he brought them to my house. I was now staying in Siwukeng Zone 14. Oh, boy. Uh, ah yeah. man. So I, you
0: kept literally getting caught in the crossfire?
1: All the time. Yo. And this was the second time. And
0: I bet your wife looked at you
1: and said, boy, I'm happy to see these people. Uh, I said, you again. Did you
0: march you off to the divorce? You again.
1: <laughs> but then, fortunately, what happened then, uh, when they got to our house, I said, listen, I'm keeping no one. Where do you want to take these people? Said my aunt in uh, in Shawel. I said, good luck. I hopped into the car and I drove to Shawela at night sure. drove to Shawela, dropped them there, and came back
0: and safely
1: safe fortunately safely. then when we got home uh no no before we uh, we left uh this was named, um uh this person says. Uh, Nangalembe phones me at my house. He says, man who are being shot at here and uh, I would like to ask him then, please call the police. I said, okay. I take the phone. I want to call the police. Sheila just grabbed the phone and ripped it out and said, you call no one. because eh? Because the very people you are calling Are the very people that are behind this massacre. massacre.
0: Sure.
1: That's before the uh, Bipatong. Wow. That that massacre happened, and a week later, I think, the Bipatong one happened. Good heavens there's a lot I can tell you in politics, but I'm not a politician. So I'm very happy to hear <laughs> that. I think
0: your journey of the entrepreneurship is the is is one of the interesting ones together with all of this because I can see your wife just looking at you and thinking, First I have to put up with him when he starts his own business <laughs> and now I've got to put up with him when he picks up his <clears throat> <family." laughs> So let's kick <coughs> off your journey of um, when you started the home Build, I see in your documents that you also gave a lot to the communities in terms of uh, skills transfer <coughs> and helping them on their entrepreneur journey.
1: Yes, that happened when uh, GT grew. From the first host names that I could do, um, I, like I said, I started befriending um, this lady at the United Building Society. And uh, then I said, man, if I went on my own, what would happen? She said, we'll look into it. Then the municipality wanted to build 10 basic four-roomed houses with bathrooms inside. And uh, now because they wanted the foundation to get involved, they came to me, they said, listen, Can you build these houses for us? The foundation said, no, we not want to be interested, but that's the break I got. I had just resigned to say I don't want to go to to the... the Right. So here was my first uh, breakthrough. I got those houses, they were directly uh, being funded by the Building Society.
0: And did they make the payment into your account for you to buy the, the materials that you need? That's right.
1: And uh, the way we worked it out was they. Uh, there's this term that we used. And they used to give you um, They used to give you an advance. Say forty percent advance, on what, on buying materials, but not in cash they would give you um, sort of uh, a voucher. A voucher. Mm-hmm. And i will take the voucher to the merchant and say, listen, I want the following delivered at this place. And I would do the foundations, cast them, build them up, and then call the building society inspector. He comes he checks. It's all good and worst name. The building society can pay.
0: Now, in terms of when you started building these houses, was it on a plan, or did you have one type of plan you used for everyone? So was it a one size fits all, or were they different designs?
1: They were different designs, but ten at the time, as the ones that I started with, the, um, the designs were not. Uh, there was them the. Uh, they were not exactly the same. One would have a smaller bedroom, bigger kitchen, another one would uh, would be a little bit longer, say one would be 40 square meters, one would be 45 square meters, you know, thereabouts, it just play around that one.
0: And very similar to the Cosmo houses in Cosmopolitan, in, in Cosmo near Randburg yeah. they've got a very similar, they've got the same size, 45 to 50 square meters, right. but they just come with slightly different designs.
1: So I did that. Now that I was building my name. Now Marianne Roberts was doing a school uh, in Sibukeng at the time, and uh, one of their guys came around and he said, "What's happening here?" You know, he happened to be talking to me. I said, "No, I'm building these houses for the building society." He said, "Oh, so you have a building construction?" I said, "Yes." Only I can't fund myself. I'm a sabi. He said, "Fine." Can you read a, a drawing? I had gone through these things with, <laughs> with, with Jan Schultz. Uh, it became a piece of cake, I said, all right. <clears throat> then he said, can you come and subcontract for us? I said, yes, of course I can. But not to the school. I would subcontract to do small work. That is, give me the toilets of the children Uh, of the school, was name? So it's the block of boys, block of was name. I would take those drawings read them. That was okay. So I started with that. Marian Roberts would buy the materials. I would subcontract, do the foundations and what have you, and the engineers would check up and say, everything's okay. Build. They would pay me direct. I was building up my. uh, uh, From there, one of the uh, guys uh, was—I don't know—he was uh, the the guy at Marine Roberts. uh, They were doing uh, petrol stations also, so he recommended me to uh, then. Now, engine, then um, mobile.
0: Mobile. I used to work for them. Ah, oh, <laughs> way good. back when, when you were probably subcontracting,
1: <laughs> after being an accounts call counting checks. <laughs> okay, okay. So uh, then uh, I got in touch with mobile. Mobile said, "Hey, we like it." I looked at this. I said, "This is complicated. This I haven't done." I said, "Ah, no, 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 no." The engineer, the engineer came and he showed me. He said, "Simple." You don't look at the things that look complicated. This is how we work them out. Then he said, There's 10 drawings. You start with this drawing. You start on your site. You know how to do your site. Yes, of course, that I could. So from there, you do this drawing. This drawing, and you go this deep, and all the measurements are there. I said, Oh, that made me clever.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think that's what you are. I'm going to leave you at that point while we just go for a little bit of music and then we enter our last quarter of the show. And Joe, it's been a pleasure. Um, And and I'll just look forward to our next 10 minutes. I'm genuinely interested. (laughs) So we're at a point where we were chatting about the fact that you've now sold the newspapers, you've now moved on, you've now started building, you're now building um, uh, petrol stations. And on behalf of Marion Roberts, am I right?
1: Uh, well, uh, actually, doing for work for individual clients. When I did petrol stations, I was doing it for mobile at the time. Okay. And then um, when mobile changed to engine, I was working for engine. They would have a, a, a site that they have adi- identified and have concluded a deal. So they would say, We invite you. Here's the price. Run through it and tell us if you're comfortable. And then uh, I'll go into doing that job. Do it from beginning to completion.
0: That's now, in terms of your employees, Did your employees, when you first started your journey, like you had the one guy, then the two guys, and so you went on, were those same people still with you when you retired?
1: No, 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 no. In this business, they come and go. They're like socks, you know. (laughs) Today you have this team. Just when you have a very good team, you finish that job. And when you finish that job, you start tendering for another job and in the meantime you can't keep the guys you can't keep, the, you can't keep the guys and when you get the next job <clears throat> the guys are employed elsewhere
0: and were you known as a kind and um, a kind employer uh, employer who, who paid staff on time
1: well I would not know you know if people tell you what kind of a boss you are <laughs> and what did they tell no, they wouldn't tell you much, but I would see them by coming back.
0: And you know that they come back? When
1: they, they come, come back, it, it tells you that there's something good that you're doing to them.
0: Did you ever think of taking on a
1: partner? I tried. Ooh, you remind me something that I, I, I always wanted to forget about. <laughs> oh, Honestly, I tried partners, uh, they left me they made you do all the way uh, and said you were doing the sweet equity you know I, 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 <laughs> I, I had I, I I made a mistake and my wife warned me and my bank manager warned me to say don't take these guys you've been doing okay on your own I got a job from Habitech to build 25 houses for them here in Tembisa. At the time, now I was established. I could order bricks and pay on a 30-day account. I could order cement and pay on 30 days. Sand, the same.
0: So you had a good name in So I had a
1: good name, and, uh, and I made a mistake. This is why I say, ah, no, that's one thing I want to forget completely because right in the middle of when I was roofing the riots hit in Tembisa and they cleaned out that site I had no insurance Uh, the insurance was too expensive anyway, even if I wanted to have it but uh, the long and the short of it is uh, that was one of some, something I shouldn't have taken on So I, you took
0: on a partner Was it somebody you knew? Two Did you take two
1: on? Two guys Did you
0: know them? Or were they I
1: recently? knew them We were together in, in, in these building associations Oh, okay. uh, Don't look at a person Listen to him talking to you And think that's where his heart is No his heart is elsewhere i
0: think the the, the the hardest part of an entrepreneur is when it's time for you to get a little bit bigger the the challenge that you face is when you choose the wrong people in your rush to get to that point where <coughs> you're to be stable that's right you always make the wrong decision yeah and i think that's obviously what happened to you that's
1: what happened to me i never want to talk about it because uh, it hits home to my wife whenever that thing comes up and so it's
0: you had a point in your in your career where you were doing well, and now you, after these partners, you went backwards and had to do that went all over again, just to re-establish yourself.
1: Oh, that's, a, that's why I say I want to forget about you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I hate to tell you this, Joe, but you realise that our chat is not finished. So we're going to have to continue this next Wednesday because now this is going to be Joe's hour. Um, and I think because there's so much more I still want to hear and I can't do this conversation in the next five minutes before the news because my show ends at 12. So I'm going to ask you if you would come back because I'm fascinated by your story and the WhatsApps I've been getting is saying, uh, he's not finished yet. And I'm going, well, um, I, have, I have people who, come, who show, follows mine So we're going to, and you know what I like about this conversation, it's led me to know that there are other entrepreneurs out there that have retired that also have a great story to tell, whether it's a story of sadness, of gladness, but it's a story because it's an entrepreneurial journey. And just by sharing the things that you've shared this morning. I know there's some people listening saying, "Geez, how did he get past that?" And I'm sure I'm surprised his wife is still there. And the question one of them asked was, "Is his wife still there?" <laughs> <laughs> so, is your wife still with you?
1: Loving as ever.
0: <laughs> We're lucky, man. We, I mean, we, we ended up on a bad side here, Joe.
1: On the on the seventh of no no on the fifth of September 2020, we celebrated our fiftieth Goodness me. Uh, anniversary.
0: I was going to say, not your 50th wife,
1: hopefully.
0: Because <laughs> so by the sounds of things, your wife has been very patient.
1: Yeah, and she's been a rock and she's stuck behind me. Oh.
0: And I think as an entrepreneur, if you don't have the support of your partner and your family, your journey's just that much harder yeah. because you stand alone. You know, they, they kind of pull away from you because I've spoken to a couple of entrepreneurs whose family do not support their decision to go on their own. And they found it just so much harder that they have to turn to friends for some upliftment. And they say, you know, when I talk to you, you're more excited about my venture than my wife is. And I can't get her to understand I don't have a future. I'm I'm white and I'm 50. And my my job opportunities are shrinking. But I'm trying to find an opportunity for us to go forward by finding something of my own.
1: Because sometimes uh, wives are resistant. And sometimes it's a blessing. In your case, it was a uh, the, when she says no and there are <laughs> times when I would say uh, and then go around the corner and do it on my I own anyway. like mm.
0: the partner thing I can see that having been exactly. I'm not going to do that Joe well actually what do you know I'm going to go do it to yeah. you? <laughs> you think I am the head of the house <laughs> you, you, you
1: think you are expanding you look at the advantages and you don't look at your disadvantage to say my wife i can trust but anybody else it's so difficult
0: very very difficult and those lessons you learn i've learned the hard (laughs) way the hard way you've been listening to janine preston this has been a podcast for life is a beach